Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Jasmine Frank. Jasmine is the author of In the Waiting, and in this episode, Jasmine explores how we can be active in the present as we hope for the future by examining the examples of beloved biblical characters. Through their lives, we are reminded of God's providence and challenged to trust Him no matter the timetable or answer He gives. We hope through this episode, you understand it is okay to want, but ultimately that you want God most of all. Hello, Jasmine. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. Hey, Rachel. Thanks for having me today. So you have recently released In the Waiting, Drawing Near to God in Seasons of Wanting, which is a 40-day Bible study that I've actually read and I'm really proud to endorse. So did the inspiration of this study come from your own season of waiting? Yeah, I mean, I think we've all had not just one, but multiple seasons of waiting. So I could pull from several different things, but I think the main thing that inspired this um, was my own personal journey of singleness and kind of this waiting on this desire for marriage and wondering if God's going to do anything with it. And I started digging into scripture because I really don't know where else to get any good answers. (laughs) Um, And I started, I was like, there's got to be something to this waiting thing. There's got to be something more than just waiting to get to the other side. And so I was like, you know what? There are a lot of people in the Bible that have waited. I wonder what I can learn from them. And I wonder what I can learn specifically about how do I do relationship with God in in a waiting season? Because waiting is difficult and it's 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 really difficult Um in general, but especially when we're waiting on God to do something, because it gets really personal, it gets very vulnerable. And I think, at least for me, there have been points throughout my waiting seasons where I kind of blame him for it. Um, Like with singleness, you know, this was a desire I gave to him, you know, back when I was a teenager, I was like, Lord, I really want you to write a really beautiful love story. I think there's a lot more to relationship than what I'm seeing in my high school hallways. And I, I gave that to him. And then I've been waiting ever since I'm in my late twenties and, and you know, there's been nothing. And so there have been times where I'm like, okay, Lord, how do I relate with you in my honest emotions and, and throughout this, the, the many ups and downs that, that waiting seasons have. So yeah, this is definitely, I think I wrote it. I, I explored the scriptures for me first. And then as I dug into this content, I realized, you know what, there's some, there's some stuff here that I think other people might need too. So, but it definitely started with my own waiting. Yeah. Yeah. We're all waiting for, for something. And and now you assert that waiting is actually a good thing. So yeah, <laughs> these, these seasons are actually opportunities. So I'd love for you to dive deeper into that. Yeah. Um, and I know <laughs> there might've been somebody listening that just cringed at that because waiting never feels like a good thing. Or if, you know, I think I don't have kids, but I've told children, you know, it's good to be patient. It's good to wait. It does good things. And I feel like we get that a lot. Like, oh, waiting's good because it builds character. And we're like, yippee, that sounds great. Um, (laughs) But really what I've been finding as I've been spending time in scripture and as I've just been pressing into honest relationship with God in every season of my life, um, waiting I don't know what author it was, but I feel like I saw a book somewhere 
and I heard somebody talking about some book where um, talking about the middle places of life and how the majority of our lives are spent in those middle places of wanting and not yet having or of being in transition or of facing change. And so the reality is the majority of our life is spent waiting for something. I mean, look at where we're at right now. We're in a pandemic <laughs> and yeah. we are, we've been waiting for months and months and months. And we thought this would maybe be over a lot quicker and we could get it under control, but we're still here in September and we're waiting and we don't know how much longer we're waiting. And so we have to decide what are we going to do with this season? How are we going to wait well for answers, for a vaccine, for healing? Um, and so waiting then becomes, you know, if this is the place I'm in, how am I going to live well here? How am I going to draw near to God here? How am I going to love others well and love, love scripture? And how am I going to press into relationship? So waiting then becomes an opportunity to say, you know what, Lord, this is where I am. And I know, and you know, I want to be somewhere else. I want to have this thing I'm waiting on. I want to you know, be provided for or see healing or feel release or whatever, experience this blessing that I'm waiting on. But we're here right now. And, and I think it's Ann Voskamp that says, here is the only way, here is the only place I can love him. And so, you know, it's an opportunity to press into that relationship with God, even in the middle of a waiting season. Yeah. Well, you've determined that the goal is not really to find a formula to end our waiting, but rather to encounter God who is with us in the waiting. So I'd love for you to talk about how we can best draw near to him rather than our tendency to pull away. Yeah. Yeah. And that's difficult. Um, the I feel like the main answer I'm giving people when they ask me about that is just the phrase honest faith. And it's it's a phrase I'm still exploring and still trying to figure out how to articulate in a way that makes sense. But in my own walk with the Lord, I have really been pressing into this idea of living devoted. And the word devoted is all about being committed, steadfast and faithful in relationship, in whatever. And so, you know, when we have these waiting seasons, they aren't, God's not absent from them, even though it feels like that sometimes that we are, that he is distant from us or we're distant from him. But what I've been learning in these waiting seasons is that the best way to draw near to him is to just be brutally honest with him and to keep, you know, keep going through the motions of, um, you know, devotional time and those, those structures and rhythms I've set up in the past to connect with him. But then in the midst of those rhythms, allowing God to access those really raw emotions and really um, vulnerable places in my heart, even if that means I spend my morning railing at him, or if I'm walking around in angry prayer because I just don't understand what he's doing. And I feel like sometimes in the Christian faith, there's this idea that we have to approach God you know, he is holy and we are these little human beings and, and he, you know, he's done so much for us. So how dare we be angry with him? How dare we have doubts? But I have been finding that the more I share my anger, the more I share my doubts, the more I share my hurt with the Lord for those things that, you know, I've blamed him for, or where I felt he's kind of 
um, I don't know, duped me or, or led me on or, or played with my heart, when I'm able to engage in conversation with him about those things, it's really hard and painful. But just like any relationship, human relationship, where we're able to deal head on with conflict and be vulnerable with another person, intimacy grows there. And the same thing happens with the Lord. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think he knows our hearts anyway. You know, <laughs> we're not right. hiding anything from him. And, you know, I think for me, it, at least, I think I have a tendency to kind of value God because of like what he can give me. Right. So how do we counteract that tendency? I think it's about shifting our focus. And that's not to say that we stop wanting. We are completely allowed to want one of the um, one of the days of study in there. We talk about Hannah and that I think that's one of my favorite um, pieces of the study I got to write because we see Hannah wanting this child and going to the tabernacle, falling on her face before the Lord and pleading with him to give her this heart's desire to bless her with a son. And, um, and she's, she's blessed with that. Like we are allowed to want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I actually love that you say that it's okay to want, because I think sometimes like, well, we feel guilty and say like, Oh, I should just be content with what I have. Yeah. No. Why do you think that wanting is acceptable in the eyes of the Lord? You know, I think there's something wired in us that calls for the abundance that God created this world to be in. And our hearts got twisted um, with sin and, and we've kind of lost, um, you know, we've, we've lost access to that full abundance and the, the fullness of perfection that this world was originally created in. And so I think there's just this natural longing, this natural wanting that says there is more here. And, and I think that wanting draws us to God because, you know, so many people, um, you know, we go, we go looking to fill that void. We go looking to fill that gap. We know there's got to be something more. And for many of us, that desire leads us back to God. And so I think it's okay to want. And I think, I think God's wired us to, you know, crave community, crave things that are going to fill up our souls and our bodies. And so one of the things I just really, I really hope people get from this study and, and, um, and begin learning is that contentment does not negate wanting. And, and just because we're wanting doesn't mean we're content. I've gotten, you know, as a single person, I've heard that kind of cliche multiple times. If you just stop wanting it, it'll happen. And I don't think that's accurate for anything. I don't think that an absence of wanting means contentment. And I think the, the thing, though, is learning how to carry both of them together and learning how not to idolize and put up on a pedestal this thing that we want. Instead, letting God be ultimately the, the one we want and the one we're drawing near to um, and saying, you know what, Lord, this is a thing I want and it means a lot to me and it really hurts that I don't have it. And I really hope you do something with this desire. But also, no matter what, I'm going to 
trust you and I'm going to draw near to you and I'm going to want you and I'm going to learn how to be content with what I have, but I'm also going to carry at the same time the reality that I'm longing for something more and that's okay. Yeah. You know, and as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking even Jesus said, you know, like, this is what I want. Take this cup away from me. Right. Even if, even if you don't, right. You know, like I still, I still love you. And so I'd, I'd love for you to talk about just trusting God with all the details. And I think in your Bible study, Abraham's story is what you mm-hmm. used for this. So how would you encourage us in this area with trusting God with the details? Yeah. So Abraham is fascinating. He has always been, if you were to look in any Bible that I own, um, that have led me through different seasons of life in almost every one, you will find Genesis 12 through, you know, about 38, uh, just marked up with Abraham and his family. And Abraham's just, oh man, he's, he's a cool dude to me because you know, he, in Genesis 12, he gets called by the Lord and the Lord gives him this really great promise of, you know what, if you come and follow me, if you live faithfully to me, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the sand or the stars, and I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. And it's through that promise that we eventually see Jesus and and the new covenant and God's promise fulfilled to Abraham through Christ. Um, so Abraham up and leaves and he takes his family and he starts following the Lord on this journey. And the Lord's like, um, I will lead you to a place. He didn't say, okay, we're going to, we're going to head to, you know, Lebanon or whatever, <laughs> right. but right. he just says, follow me. And, and Abraham does. And along the way, he has these encounters with the Lord where God reveals a little bit more about his promise, a little bit more about what's coming, a little bit more about his covenant love for Abraham. And, and it's just this slow revealing of God's presence. And this is just a thought that's striking me now. I kind of wonder if, you know, that style of journey I would say that when we're following the Lord, that's what a lot of us experience is we kind of have this maybe big idea or maybe next step, but we definitely don't see, you know, five miles down the road, what, where the Lord is leading us or how we're going to get there or the timing of it. And I wonder if that has to do with God training us to want him more than the thing he's promised Mm -hmm. Um, to trust him with the details, because I don't know about you, but if I had the details, I think I would be predisposed to try and go make it happen on my own yeah. instead of walking in daily relationship with the Lord toward that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, it makes us dependent on him for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. so I think, you know, sometimes we might be prone to like, okay, while I'm waiting, I'm just going to sit and twiddle my thumbs, you know? So what yeah. would you say, like Noah was the example you used of working while he waited. So how do you suggest that we, we do the same? Yeah, no, I will say there are different kinds of waiting. And that's something I tried to cover Mm. throughout the study is there's no one size fits all answer for waiting. That's part of the reason why the subtitle is drawing near to God in seasons of wanting is because the goal here is to draw near to God. And sometimes that does mean sitting and literally waiting. And um, I've had moments of that recently with, you know, financial provision where, been like, Lord, I've done all the work I can do and I need you 
I need you to provide for me. And often that means him telling me, you know, wait, I've got you taken care of and I can't do anything about it except for wait. But there are also those seasons where our waiting actually involves work for Noah. You know, he was given the heads up. Hey, um, this world is not going the way I intended. And you've been a righteous man, Noah. So I'm sending a flood, but I'm going to save you and the fa- you and your family and some of the animals. So I need you to build an ark. And that was decades. Mm-hmm. You know, in scripture so funny because in the matter of a verse, years can pass. Yeah. And we see that with Noah where, you know, the Lord gives this command and then Noah faithfully builds the ark. And then we come to realize, you know, that was like a hundred years of work and all this time of sawing wood, hammering nails, painting with pitch. And, um, and he was given this work to do. And so sometimes I think our work, and again, it depends on your waiting. Our work could be building skills. It could be um, building, you know, something like a business or a rhythm or a habit. It could be the work of, um, of healing, of going to counseling or sitting down with an accountability partner for a season or working through a discipleship program where you are, you're investing in yourself and in your community and in the place God has put you right now. Cause the majority of every kind of weight, you're not, you're not going to literally sit there on your hands and do nothing and wait. Um, there may be a, a stillness that's required more at a emotional, spiritual level, but more often than not, we're going to have work to do. And, you know, for um, just an example of somebody waiting for a new job, most of the time you keep working at the job you have until that new opportunity comes up until the Lord provides the next step. So I think that's what working can look like in a few different areas. It's either internal work, working on yourself, allowing God to go through some healing and some strengthening and some growing or, um, or working externally in the place you're already in and growing skills and, and developing, um, you know, developing the community and the gifts and the opportunities you have right where you are. Wow. Those are really, really good examples. And I'm convicted, you know, when you do think of, of Noah and, and how long he worked and how often I'm like, Oh gosh, I've been waiting a month, you know, for yeah. a month or whatever. Or I've waited a year, you know, and so that really puts it into perspective. Um, I think another topic, you know, in this this idea of waiting, sometimes we start to feel forgotten. And mm. uh, you use Sarah's life as an example. So, would you talk a bit about her and how we can remember that God is always with us? Yeah, I love Sarah. I My heart goes out to her. Um, so Sarah is Abraham's wife. So when Abraham was called to follow God, Sarah went with him. And I always, I always think that Sarah was privy to Abraham's conversations with God. So when God's like, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation and all the peoples will be blessed through you. I, I like to think that she was aware of that and that maybe there was some hope that got reignited in her that she was going to have a child because when Abraham and Sarah are introduced in Genesis, um, she is described as being barren. She doesn't have any children. She's unable to have children. And yet this promise is given to Abraham. And because she's his wife, I like to think that she, you know, this, this hope rose up in her that this long held desire is going to, to happen for her. 
But as the years pass and nothing's happening, she, I don't know. I, I wonder if she maybe thinks, okay, maybe I didn't understand. Maybe the Lord was going to do this some other way. And she falls onto some cultural practices where if a wife is unable to have children, she can give her servant to her husband and kind of as a surrogate mother type of situation. Um, and so she does that with her servant, Hagar, which is just, I don't know, it turns out to be a nice little soap opera situation. Oh, right. um, um, you know, Sarah giving Hagar to Abraham, Hagar becomes pregnant and then becomes bitter towards Sarah. And so Sarah has Hagar sent away. And, and it's just whole, this whole big mess. And later on, several years later, um, the Lord shows up again to Abraham and he says, look, I'm going to, um, I'm going to give my covenant to you and I'm going to pass it on to your heir. And Abraham's like, so Ishmael, right? Hagar's son. And God's like, no, Sarah's going to have a son. You're going to name him Isaac. And that is going to be the line through which the nations are blessed. And he, the Lord then comes as, um, as three men. He appears to Abraham and Sarah, and I'm convinced that this encounter is strictly for Sarah's benefit because up to this point, she has not heard from the Lord directly. Everything has come through Abraham and whatever he's sharing with his wife. And so the Lord shows up and Abraham makes this meal for him. And, um, and, and the Lord asks, where's your wife, Sarah? And she's in the tent making bread, also eavesdropping on this conversation. Mm -hmm. And he affirms again, this time next year, Sarah's going to have a son. And she laughs because at this point, she's like 80, 90 years old. Mm -hmm. And there's no way, <laughs> even in that time period where people were living much longer, you just don't have children at that age. Right. And especially when you've been barren your whole life. And so she laughs and the Lord calls her out on it. Why are you laughing? And, um, reaffirms his promise again. And, and then, you know, a year later she has a child. And I just think I said before, I feel for Sarah because she, she got brought along on this promise with Abraham, but she couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. And I'm certain there were times where she felt forgotten and she wondered, Lord, you gave this amazing promise to your, to my husband. And why don't I get to be part of that? Um, and so when the Lord finally, you know, delivers on that promise and she gives birth to Isaac and his name means laughter and joy and, and her joy is restored. Um, I think it's just a beautiful picture that even when things take time and even when things don't turn out the way you intended, the Lord's faithful and he never, he never forgets us. And, um, just because we're waiting doesn't mean we're forgotten. And just because, you know, he, waiting doesn't mean he's holding back from us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the life of Sarah and it's our tendency just as well is to, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do it for you, God. I'm going to take these values yeah. into my own hands. And we really have to guard against that, against not moving ahead of him. And I think another, and honestly, as I'm thinking about all of this waiting, so much of it is really like not our fault, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so how do we wait faithfully then oh man yeah I yeah so much of it is is not our fault it's either because God has said hey I've got this thing 
or circumstances outside of our control or choices made by other people. One of the hardest um, days to write about in this study, I write about, we study Caleb. And Caleb is one of the Israelites that came out of Egypt, out of slavery, um, when when uh, the Lord called Moses to, to lead Israel out of Egypt. And Caleb is one of the 12 spies that gets sent into the promised land, into Canaan, to scout out the land and kind of help make a plan to move forward to claim this land. And when the spies return, 10 of the men say, we should not be going in there. The people are huge. They outnumber us. We have no hope. But Caleb and Joshua are very adamant. No, the Lord is going with us. He has promised us this land. We can move forward in confidence that the Lord is going to fight this battle for us. And unfortunately, the 10 men who are um, are operating out of fear convince the rest of the people that this is not a good idea. And so because of that, Israel wanders around the desert for 40 years while that generation that was disobedient and distrusting dies off. And the only two that are left to enter the land are Joshua and Caleb. And I just felt for Caleb because he was ready to be faithful and he was ready to go in and take the land and he had full confidence, but also he lived in community and the choices of the rest of the people dictated what happened to him, which just seems so unfair to me. I'm like, Lord, could you have like just led Joshua and Caleb in and let them enjoy those 40 years in the land instead of having them wander around too. And so there's a, there's a piece of unfairness with that, but we just see Caleb handle it with so much grace Mm -hmm. and he still gets the blessing that the Lord promised. He still gets to inherit the land, but you know, it, I think when that happens, when, when we're waiting and, and the waiting isn't our fault, I think we need a lot of grace. I think we need a lot of grace for ourselves, a lot of grace for any other people involved in, in the, mm-hmm. in the waiting. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes back to that honest faith thing. I think it goes back to being honest with the Lord about where we're at, what we're feeling and, and letting those emotions rise up and kind of process through them and, and kind of pull a Noah and keep working where we're at until, um, until that waiting ends. And that's a hard, that's the, I feel like that's the bittersweet part of this study is, um, is that Caleb story and the reality that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I'll, I'll go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say when that happens, like we, we keep living faithfully, even if, we're delayed. Mm-hmm. And what, well, and I was just going to say, and just trusting his providence, like we know he's a good God. Yeah. We know his right. plans are what's best for us. And although we can't see it, we just have to trust that he's got us and we're going to get there to the promised land whenever right. that is. Uh, and so really, I think the waiting can be a time of preparation as well. And so Esther is who you use for this example. So what would you say in regards to this preparation period with waiting? Yeah. Esther's was interesting because her wait is very short. So (laughs) if you're unfamiliar with Esther, like she is a Jew during the time of exile in Babylon and, um, or Persia, 
think it's Persia at that point, um, getting my timeline all mixed up, but she is brought in as one of the women who is a candidate for um, the new queen and she gets chosen. And, um, and then one of the King's um, advisors, Haman hatches the scheme to kill off all the Jews and Esther's made aware of that. And she is um, asked by Mordecai, her cousin, I think it's her cousin or uncle. And he asks her, you need to go before the king and ask him to stop this decree. You need to go in and do something. And she tells him, you know what? Going into the king uninvited could mean I die. This is not, you know, I don't have the freedom to go in and just ask anything I want of him. He's the king. And Mordecai responds, okay, I mean, you could, you could refuse to do this. You could refuse to fight for your people, but either way you face death. You either face death going in uninvited or you face death by being killed off with all the other Jews, because just because you're in the palace doesn't mean you're going to escape that decree. And so she responds to him and she says, okay, I'm going to fast and pray for three days. And I want you to gather a community of people to do that with me. And so for the next three days, she prepares herself for this, um, essentially to die on behalf of her people. She didn't know what the outcome would be. And she was preparing herself and the Lord was preparing her to go in and make this request of the king. And so preparation, um, I feel like waiting is maybe a little easier to swallow when we recognize that waiting is a time of preparing and it's a time of growing into um, our role or growing into our skills or um, or waiting for God to connect us with the right people or the right opportunities or just the right timeline. And there's this time of preparation where we have the chance to go, okay, Lord, there's a thing you're leading me into. There's a thing you're calling me to. There's a blessing you want to give. I have the chance right now to press deeper into you and let you prepare me for that. Sometimes that looks like prayer and fasting. Sometimes that looks like establishing different disciplines or rhythms to really get in touch with the Lord in different, more intentional ways. Um, and sometimes that's, you know, something as simple as, you know, taking extra courses or getting training or, or something like that. But yeah, waiting can definitely be a time of preparation. I think sometimes maybe honestly, it's our, just preparing our hearts and needing yep. to kind of check our attitude, so to speak. And, yep. And so how would you suggest that we keep a pleasing attitude unto the Lord and not become bitter or negative or pessimistic or, you know, whatever the other negative attitudes we might have maybe. Right. Now, I will say, I think we're allowed to have those emotions. I don't think that in order to wait well, we have to push away all negative emotions. I think it's more of really allowing God access to those places of our hearts and being open when he or our community, because people are really good at identifying bad attitudes and bad, you know, negative negativity as well, um, that when we're called out on that, we are gracious enough to sit down and take a heart check and, and be honest with the Lord and like, okay, I have this attitude. I have this bias. I have this prejudice. 
I have this false belief or this lie that that is very prevalent in me and giving God permission to work on that. Well, so, okay. So one of my very, I mean, I loved it all, but one of my very favorite uh, days of your study was one more minute. So I'd love for you to share that devotion um, that had your college professor where they, it was a he or she shared um, how, um, how we can relate that to our lives, this idea of one minute. Yeah. So this was a devotion from my, um, my personal evangelism professor. I think it was a sophomore in college at the time. So, and it really stuck with me and it was actually a devotion that he shared from a professor that he had. And, um, it was this idea of uh, Israel when they were led out of Egypt, the Lord led them to the Red Sea. And at that point, Pharaoh and his army are pursuing them, trying to get them back realized he made a mistake in letting all of his slave and workforce go. And, and the people start freaking out because they've got the army on one side of them pursuing them and they are up against the Red Sea and there is nowhere to go. And so they're freaking out and they're calling out to Moses, like, why did the Lord lead us out of, out of Egypt to die? This doesn't seem right or fair. What are we going to do? And Moses assures them, be calm be still, be silent. The Lord will fight for you today. And the devotion that my professor shared was really wrapped around this phrase of when you think you can't wait one more minute, wait one more minute. Mm. It's often at those places where we want to give up, when we want to give in, when we want to turn back, that if we wait just a little bit longer, there is, there's an answer. There is an end to the waiting on the other side. And we saw that with Israel, the Lord came in and he stood as a pillar of fire between the army and Israel and he parted the sea and they walked across on dry land and everyone, everyone survived and they made it across. And it was just a matter of, you know, waiting a little bit longer. Yeah. When you can't, when you don't think you can wait another minute, wait another minute. And, you know, there's something that, I don't know, lately with my family, you know, like some days it's just a, a rainy day, you know, <laughs> and some days it's right. But then the next day, here comes the sun, you know, it's like the idea of his mercies are new every morning, like just wait another day, you know, like everything could change the next day. And so I think that's why that resonated um, so much with me. And I think um, another aspect, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, but praying while we wait is so important. So I'd love for you to talk about how prayer has helped you in your seasons of wait. Yeah. Um, So a long time ago, I read an article, I think in like a Brio teen magazine, and it was an article where the girl um, wrote about how she didn't say amen at the end of her prayers, because culturally, it's, you know, amen kind of marks the end. And she's like, I don't want to ever stop praying. I want to be in constant conversation with the Lord. I love that. I do too. And I really latched onto it. And, and ever since then, I have just been in constant conversation with the Lord. Um, Sometimes I even talk to him out loud when I'm in public. And then I realize I'm doing it. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to look crazy. (laughs) But it's just this constant awareness of his presence, constant acknowledgement that he hears me, that he listens. And 
and just the realization that, you know, conversation is a part of relationships and prayer while we do, um, while we can have very set apart, very, um, I don't know, sacred times of prayer. There's also just a very casual kind of prayer where we're welcoming God into every piece of the day and we're conversing with him. I'll talk to him about parking spots and I'll talk to him about, you know, where's the best place to go get this thing that I need because I only have X amount of money to get it. And, and I'll talk to him about, you know, this, this conversation with somebody that I just had really hurt me and, and here's why. And so praying really it's a very simple way for us to draw near to God. It's a very simple way to press into relationship. And um, in the study, this is one of the last days of study is talking about prayer, specifically with the disciples after Jesus resurrects, after he ascends, he tells them to stay in the city and wait because the Holy spirit is coming. And so he sends them back into the city and says, stay here. And, and wait for this blessing I'm going to give you. He doesn't give them any time frame of when this is going to happen. He doesn't tell them, hey, this is what Holy Spirit looks like or feels like or sounds like. Um, they're just told to go and wait. And that's one of those things where it kind of seems like they're told to sit and twiddle their thumbs. Mm-hmm. But really, they spend the time praying. They spend the time finding somebody to replace Judas um, as as the 12th disciple they spend time as a community praying seeking the lord and and waiting for this blessing he's promised and and i think that time of prayer made them aware when the holy spirit came like it made them ready to receive the holy spirit and then go out and and have you know one of the biggest days of evangelism in history um so, yeah, I had never, yeah, yeah, I had never really considered that before. And something else I had never considered before is that Jesus even waited. So I would love for you yeah. to elaborate more on this reality. Yeah. When I had um, some of my early readers read through this study, this, the, the, the day about Jesus waiting was one that really resonated with a lot of people mm-hmm. because I think it, I don't want to say it puts us on the same level of as God, but I think it helps us acknowledge that he understands this waiting better than anybody because he waited. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we could go back to the very beginning of scripture, back to the very beginning of time where God creates and the world is beautiful and humanity is in perfect relationship with him. And then the whole thing with the tree of knowledge of good and evil and and Adam and Eve eating of this forbidden fruit and sin entering the world. And it's at that point at Genesis three, at the end of Genesis three, where God begins waiting and he is waiting for the restoration of relationship with humanity because that's been broken and, and we've distrusted him and we disobeyed him and we walked away from him. And so he puts in this, this great rescue mission um, and he calls Abraham and he raises up, Israel and, and then on through generations until we get to Jesus and we see Jesus doing ministry, revealing the kingdom of God here on earth and, and which ultimately brings him to Gethsemane before he's crucified and he's in the garden and he's praying. And like you said earlier, Lord, um, father, take this cup from me. 
not my will, but yours be done. And this kind of waiting of wanting the pain to go away, because even though he's God, he's also human and he feels pain and he's about to experience excruciating pain. He knows what's coming and he's, you know, he's waiting for that to end, but also he's willing to walk through that for the sake of ending the, the wait he and, you know, the Trinity have, have been in since, since the beginning of wanting humanity restored and, and his work on the cross, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and, and eventually his return, all of that is moving toward ending his weight and, and restoring this relationship and restoring this world. And, and, the, and yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I would, I think to that point, it's like when we know why we're waiting, <laughs> right. it really helps yep. us to stay the course. And I think the good news is, is that one day, there will be an end of our waiting. So, you know, you yep. kind of talked about the origin of our weight. And so let's talk about for a moment, this idea of the new creation and then the end of our waiting. Yeah. So ultimately, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that longing that there's, we are allowed to want because I think there is this, this holy longing within us for this world to be right again, for us to be whole, for relationship with our world with creation and with God to be restored and we are promised that that will happen that will happen our waiting will ultimately end when Jesus returns and establishes new creation here where this world is made new and we are we're in his presence forever and that that's a promise and so while we have a lot of you know, individual, um, unique weights without or throughout our lives, that is one waiting that ties us all together as, as Christians, as believers. And, and we're promised that comes to an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, that's beautiful. I love, I love just thinking about that. And it makes us realize like it, it'll all be worth it in the end. Um, and so, okay. So Jasmine, this season, I'm asking all of my guests who has loved them well and how have they loved you well? So I'd love for you to answer that. And, and maybe it's even how they've loved you well in your way. Yeah. So the two people that come to mind, I'm part of an accountability group. Um, and it's three of us women and these women, we've been meeting together for about two years now. And it was one of those weird relationships that just kind of happened where we were all sitting at church one day and our pastor was preaching about accountability groups and the benefit of that kind of community. And we all looked at each other after service. We're like, hey, do you do you want to try this out and see what happens? And we're like, OK, yeah, sure. Let's, let's try. And so we met very awkwardly for the first couple months and and in the last you know, six months or so, really found our groove. And we meet every Tuesday and talk about what's going on in our lives, what emotions we're feeling and dealing with, how we're doing with Jesus. And these girls have given me so much space to feel my honest emotions. And I don't, I don't get permission to do that very often. I feel like our world just doesn't give us permission to yeah. be anything but productive and happy. And so <laughs> right. um, I get permission to, to share those honest things, you know, with my waiting seasons and, and with what's going on in my life. 
and they ask informed questions and they're not ones to offer advice very often. They're more there to listen, which has meant more to me than anything, because generally I can figure out what I need to do. Right. Every once mm-hmm. in a while, I need a little kick in the pants or I need a, a different perspective. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, I just need somebody to be there for me and listen and make space for me to be completely fully Jasmine in whatever state I happen to be in at that moment. Yeah. And, and just listen and, and love me well through listening and just saying, you know what, that sounds really hard and that sucks. And we're here for you. Yeah. Well, is there anything you would add to that? Like, so my next question for you was going to be, how can we love others in their seasons of waiting? So I imagine it's probably similar, but is there anything else that you'd add? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, just to reemphasize, make space for people in the waiting. Um, Please, please, please stay away from the cliches. They're not helpful. Saying to somebody, oh, just wait, God will do it. We don't know that for sure. We don't have any guarantee that the things we're waiting for, other than Jesus's return and new creation, that any of this will happen. We have, we have no guarantee that the things we're waiting on will actually be things the Lord does. And so I think, um, I think we need to be cautious and be like, you know what, I'm going to wait with you. And I'm really hoping the Lord does this for you. But even if not know that I'm here for you and and we're going to get through this together. So providing that community, because waiting can often be very lonely Mm -hmm. and very isolating. And so allowing yourself to be that person for somebody where they can be honest about their waiting, where they can come to you not to get advice, but just to be heard and to have somebody who's sitting with them in the waiting and, and looking hopefully for what the Lord will do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and gosh, I hope this isn't ending this on a negative note. And so maybe you'll speak a little bit more into it than I can, but um, <laughs> as you're just talking and thinking about all the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11 and how all of them, and I hope I'm not misquoting this, but they never saw the promise, <laughs> you know, they were faithful, but none of them really realized the promise. Um, and so right. it, it makes you think, but yet they were still heroes of the faith and God is going to reward them eternally. And so even if, like you said, even if we never realize, you know, quit the cliches because we may not realize the promise until eternity, but that's got to be enough, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, so some of those people listed in there, Abraham, Sarah, they got some of those tangible things they're waiting on. Sarah got the baby, Abraham got the land, but ultimately what they were waiting for was, was Jesus. Mm -hmm. They, they didn't quite fully know it, but they Mm -hmm. knew and they were promised that something bigger is coming. Someone bigger is coming and we're waiting for the kingdom of God. And, and they didn't get to see that. And we've seen a taste of that with, um, with Jesus and, and the Holy, the, the gift of the Holy spirit, but we're waiting with them too, for the fulfillment mm-hmm. of the fullness of the kingdom of God. So, yeah, I mean, some, some of those things we're not going to see, but that one we're guaranteed mm-hmm. eventually. Yeah. Well, you wrapped it up beautifully. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for coming yeah. up with the words that I couldn't. So, and I just appreciate so much your, you really dove into the Bible. And I, and I, so I asked you to like recall so many stories and you did it right. really well too. Um, but Jasmine, thank you for being my guest and 
for helping us all to navigate our seasons of waiting and wanting. God bless you, friend. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Jasmine Frank. We hope that it has helped you in your own season of waiting. If you're interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And you can also have them sent to your inbox each week by subscribing for my weekly love offering newsletter at rachelkadams.com. Also on that newsletter and on the blog, you can find the love offering blog series where each week I have a different guest author who is writing about her story of how she has been loved well or how she has loved well to help us to do the same. If you have not yet subscribed, rated, and reviewed the Love Offering podcast, I would so appreciate if you would take the time to do that just so other women can find this Love Offering message. Next week, my guest is from Lost to Found author Nicole Zazowski. She is on the show sharing about how through a great season of transition, loss, and pain, she discovered that only empty hands are truly open to receiving transformative grace and that the beauty of being lost lies in the joy of being found. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love. Love.